I've been following him for days. And I know he is here. I can see the signs. Sick people have been healed. Hungry people have been fed. The people in this town aren't so angry anymore. There is peace in the streets. And there is peace in their hearts. Because they encountered him. Because he is here. Good morning. It's great to see everybody. Uh, good to be with you this weekend. My name is Josh Surratt. I'm one of the pastors here at Seacoast. And uh, we're excited to have you guys in the house. Excited to welcome all of you who are joining us at one of our campuses. Maybe you're in the chapel or joining us online. We are glad that you're uh, with us from wherever you happen to be uh, right now. Excited to be with you guys today. I uh, want to give a shout out to the North Charleston campus, our Dream Center. This weekend's one of our big weekends at the Dream Center in terms of outreach. Uh, yesterday we did Cinderella Day, which is really cool. A lot of volunteers, over 300 volunteers uh, from a lot of different campuses showed up for it. But we uh, basically helped these uh, young women and North Charleston uh, get dresses and get kind of dolled up for their prom. And so we had over 2,400 dresses delivered, donated by people within the church and outside of the church. And uh, hundreds of girls came through and and, uh, had personal shoppers to help them pick out a dress and you know, got shoes and accessories and all that fun stuff. Really just a tangible way to show these women the love of Jesus, that God cares about them, that he loves them, and uh, get them excited about what's obviously a, a, a huge um, event in the life of any teenager, the, the prom. And so uh, I'm proud of the Dream Center. Let's give it up, all of our camps. Let's give it up for the Dream Center for the way they serve that community. Good stuff. Well, hey, have you ever done something that you never imagined in, in your life that you would do? Um, something that you just, maybe you even swore that you would never do it, and then you found yourself actually in a situation where you had done it. Uh, about 10 years ago, my wife and I uh, were on a date. We were going uh, just downtown Charleston, had dinner. We were walking through the market, and this guy uh, sort of reaches out to us and says, hey, you know, how you guys doing? I said, good. He said, hey, would you guys like, are you interested in getting 100 bucks tonight? And uh, I'm like, that should have been the first sign, right, to keep on going, right? <clears throat> but, you know, I had a hard time turning down a C-note 10 years ago, and I would have a hard time turning down one right now. And so I was like, well, let's at least talk and find out what this guy's up to. And so um, he, he said, hey, if you would be willing to um, just come, come tomorrow morning for a quick presentation, about an hour, uh, I'll give you $100. And, you know, I'm not an idiot, okay? This is, my, my first, this is not my first rodeo, and so I know what's going on here. And so I was like, hey, you're going to have to sweeten the pot uh, for this. If, if we're going to come back tomorrow, we don't live here. It's a long drive from Mount Pleasant to get downtown, and <laughs> hundred bucks barely covers that, you know. And so uh, ended up, we negotiated, and, and he said if we would come for an hour and a half meeting, he would give us a hundred bucks and a three-night, four-day cruise to the Bahamas. And so Lisa and I go home that night, and we're like, you know, God has just blessed us. You know, wh why... What have we done to earn such incredible favor on our life of God's blessing? And, you know, we knew going into it, we're not going to buy a timeshare, but we're going to go and do this thing. And, you know, this is awesome. We hadn't really budgeted for a vacation. Now we got one. This is just fantastic. And so uh, we went the next morning to the meeting. And it went exactly how we planned uh, with two small differences. One, it lasted three hours instead of an hour and a half. And two, we left with $100, a free cruise, and a new timeshare in Florida. Um, 
that we never actually went to. Uh, worst decision of our life financially, you know, just a bad, bad deal. We knew going into it what they were doing. We didn't want this thing and we ended up with a timeshare. Now, some of you love your timeshare. It's awesome. This isn't about timeshare. Some of you sell timeshares and, and we love you and you're welcome in this church. I do have a bit of bitterness in my heart, <laughs> continue to, but that's why I talk about it from time to time. But uh, never thought I'd do it. You know, m- most of us have found ourselves in, in a situation like that where we, we, we're, we're doing something, we're in positions that we never imagined we would be in. Sometimes that's a good thing. It's an achievement. You never thought you would walk across that platform and get that diploma or you never thought you'd convince her to marry you. You know, you got the girl of your dreams and you're there. Never thought you'd get a scholarship or whatever it might be, you know, promotion at work. And that's, that's great. But, but a lot of times it's the, the flip side of that. It's a, a failure uh, in our life that we just never thought we would be walking in, in this uh, circumstance. You know, when you were looking at her across the aisle, uh, making all these vows, you never imagined that you would say some of the things that you've said, that you would do some of the things that you've done to hurt her or him. And you just never thought that, that it would end this way or that you'd be in this place, but, but you found yourself there. You know, others of us, you know, um, it's financial. We never imagined uh, at this phase in our life or in our career that we would find ourselves you know, uh, unemployed or underemployed or, you know, in, in, in the kind of debt that we have or the financial position that we have, that wasn't part of the plan, but a series of circumstances and choices have kind of led us to this place. And you're like, I never thought that I would be here. You know, maybe it's a roommate situation. You know, you moved in and excited and never thought that it would deteriorate to this point that it ends so badly. Or maybe you've dropped out of college and you never thought, you just didn't think that would be your story. You didn't think that would be the way it would, would pan out for you. Well, we're, we're in a series right now that we're calling Marked, and uh, we've been studying the book of Mark for the last four weeks. This is our fifth week. We're going to take it all the way up to Easter, just looking at the life of Jesus. And this week, we're going to uh, study a passage of scripture in Mark chapter 6, verse 14 through 29, and it centers around a guy that I believe ends up doing something that he never imagined that he would do. And I want to look at his story and I want to kind of learn from this guy. But uh, the, the story is uh, actually the, the account of the, the beheading or the killing of John the Baptist. And I think I was on an airplane coming back from Zurich. Uh, we uh, had the chance to preach it. Tim and Rebecca Lindsay planted Metropolis Church in Zurich, a totally different kind of church, doing incredible stuff over there. But we were on our way back and I'm reading through the Bible and, and this story jumped out to me, probably for the same reason that it would jump out to many of us. You know, you read about John the Baptist uh, losing his life, a Christian being, uh, gra- you know, just brutally killed. And it, it just kind of immediately broke my heart for the people uh, that, that are in that situation today. You know, we've seen it all over the news and, you know, the, the 21 Coptic Christians that uh, lost their lives and the many, many others that are being persecuted and, and held against their will. And, you know, I, I, so I began to just kind of write out a message on the airplane and, uh, about persecution and what the church, what, what should, how should we, what should we make of that, you know, uh, wrote three points, you know, talked about how uh, persecution has been happening since the beginning of time, you know, it's happening today and it's been happening uh, since Jesus was walking the earth, not the beginning of time, but since Jesus was here. Uh, and how, secondly, uh, persecution almost always leads and sparks revival and growth in the church and that we can know that when men and women uh, persevere with their faith and hold on to the very end and, and such brave acts of courage uh, that it always leads to the spreading of the gospel. It did back then and it, it will today. But then also how most of us will never face 
persecution, but that doesn't mean that it shouldn't affect us. And how, what, what is our response then to persecution and how we should be, be people who would pray earnestly for the people who are uh, being persecuted and, and how we should examine our own faith and kind of look inwardly. What, what, you know, what, 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 do we have the kind of faith that, that we're willing to stand for something, that we're willing to die for something? And then thirdly, that we should love our enemies. Because I know if you're like me, that's the last thing I'm thinking about when I see some of these images on the news is love. You know, it's, there's anger, but that Jesus taught us to kind of approach life differently. And I wrote out a message around that, but, but I, I'm not gonna deliver that message today because I feel like God kind of took it in a different direction. But before we get into it, I do want us to acknowledge that as we gather uh, at all of our campuses with the freedom that we have to do it, there are men and women who are currently facing circumstances that are unimaginable. And uh, they're, they're brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. And we ought to pray for them and we ought to care for them. And so I wanna kind of start our time together, just uh, taking a moment to pray for those, uh, those, those brothers and sisters around the world. Would you guys join me in doing that? Uh, God, we thank you for our church. We thank you for the chance to come together um, and just uh, lift your name up, worship you, sing songs about you, get into your word and study it. Uh, God, that we have the freedom to do all of those things without the threat uh, to our lives, God. But as we sit here, we also acknowledge that there are brothers and sisters in Christ that are just facing unimaginable circumstances, God. And right now, we just pray for them. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would fill them with your spirit, God, that you would uh, just send comfort and peace that passes all understanding, God. We pray that you would uh, change their circumstances, that you would provide a way out for them, Lord, that you would uh, just intervene on their behalf, God. But um, even those that would, would face death and that would die for their faith, God, I just pray, Lord, that you would give them a boldness and a courage and a confidence, Lord, that, and a nearness of your spirit, Lord, that uh, would just be unmistakable for them. We pray for their family members, Lord, the men and women and uh, kids who are, you know, just living in torment, wondering what's going to happen with mom or dad or son or daughter, God. We just pray, Lord, that your spirit would comfort them, uh, that you would encourage them, God, and our hearts are just with them today. Lord, we acknowledge that, um, uh, Lord, that there are just people who, um, who face much different circumstances than we do today, and we pray for them. Uh, we pray that your will would be done, that your kingdom would come in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So, so here's the deal. I'm, I'm reading this this passage of scripture, and I'm kind of writing this message, and I, I came to this harsh realization for me, and I think for most of us in this room. See, most of us in the room, when we think about the story of John the Baptist, most of us would be far more likely to relate to Herod in the story, the man who orders the execution of John the Baptist, than we would John the Baptist. And you may be like, dude, you know, I disagree with that. Well, that's fine. I just want to want to look at, look at it together and see what we can learn from it. Um, I, I don't think that Herod, who ends up being known in history as the guy who orders the execution of John the Baptist, he also had Jesus's blood on his hands. Uh, he's known as the, as the guy who did that. That's his legacy in life. But I think when you read the story, I don't see that as his intent. I don't see that as his vision for his life. In fact, I see a man who was very curious spirit, spiritually uh, he, he had a, a desire to learn and know more, and he made a series of choices that took him to this place. And I'm not arguing that uh, any of us would do the things that Herod did, but I think all of us have within us the potential and the capacity to, to make decisions that would lead us to places we never imagined that we would be, that we never wanted to be. And I think we can learn from his story. So let's read it. Uh, it's a lot of verses. Mark uh, chapter 6, verses 14 through 29. If you have a Bible, you can pull that out. If not, we'll have the verses on your outline sheet. We also have them in the 
um, on the screens. And we're going to read it together. And then I just want to kind of process a couple things that we can learn from the story from Herod's perspective. So it says, Herod Antipas, the king, soon heard about Jesus because everyone was talking about him. Some were saying, this must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. That's why he can do such miracles. Others said he's the prophet, Elijah. Still others said he's a prophet like the other great prophets of the past. When Herod heard about Jesus, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has come back from the dead. He seems to live in uh, torment over this decision that he had made. And he says, oh my gosh, it's almost like a, t- a terrifying, it's, it's, it's the man that I beheaded. He's come back from the dead. Well, if you're reading through the gospel of Mark, this is all news to us. Uh, the last time we saw John the Baptist, if you know anything about the Bible, he was the guy that came before Jesus. He kind of paved the way for him. He preached to repent and uh, uh, be baptized. He actually baptized Jesus. And then in Mark 1 verse 14, uh, we see that John the Baptist is actually arrested and taken into jail, but we know nothing about why or what happened or what, where it went. And so let's keep reading. We kind of get a flashback here from Herod of what actually went down. It says uh, in verse 17, for Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor to Herodias. She had been his brother Philip's wife, but Herod had married her. John had been telling Herod, it is against God's law for you to marry your brother's wife. So Herodias, the the woman that he married, bore a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But without Herod's approval, she was powerless. For Herod respected John, and knowing that he was a good and holy man, he protected him. And look what it says. It says, Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John, but even so... He liked to listen to him. I think that's what a lot of us feel when we come to church. It was a little disturbing. Uh, didn't understand it. Slightly confusing, but I liked it. It was good. You know, felt like, you know, it's good stuff. That's kind of how Herod felt when he hung out with John. You know, um, do you notice a spiritual curiosity in Herod? You, you see, he, he's a guy at this point, he's a guy who he's protected John the Baptist. His wife wants to kill him. He's like, no, 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 I'm protecting him. He acknowledges that John is holy. He's, he's, he's a good man. He seems to have some sort of relationship with John. It says that every time they talked with each other, uh, that John actually spoke to him. They had a, had a relationship and he likes being around him. You know, the, the, this, this looks like a recipe for John being able to maybe lead Herod to Christ and see some cool stuff happen in his life. But this is where the story kind of falls apart. Verse 21, Herodias's chance finally came on Herod's birthday. He gave a party for his high government officials army officers, and the leading citizens of Galilee. Then his daughter, also named Herodias, came in and performed a dance that greatly pleased Herod and his guests. Ask me for anything you like, the king said to the girl, and I will give it to you. He even vowed, I will give you whatever you ask up to half of my kingdom. So she goes out and asks her mom, hey, what should I ask for? And mom sees the opportunity. She says, ask for the head of John the Baptist. So the girl hurries back to the king and tells him, I want the head of John the Baptist right now on a tray. And look what it says in verse 26. Then the king deeply regretted, I added the bold, deeply regretted what he had said. But because of the vows that he'd made in front of his guests, he couldn't refuse her. And he goes on to uh, describe what happens next, which is just the brutal execution of John the Baptist. Herod goes on to do something that he never imagines that he's going to do. You know, the more I read this passage, the more I'm convinced that that wasn't Herod's vision for his life. Herod had no plans to do this. That wasn't, but, but some small decisions that he made, his actions 
led him to a place where he does the unthinkable. And I think we have the same potential within us. You know, my heart for this church, for, for, for everyone in here, is that we would be a people who are marked by God's power, by God's presence, by his grace. That when people meet seacoasters in the community, they go, man, there's something different about these people. They're, they, 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 they've been with Jesus. They, they, they pursue Jesus. They add value to my life. You know, things like the Dream Center, you know, that we would be known uh, as a people who uh, just bless the community. And that, that's our heart. That's what we want to be. But every one of us has within us the ability to, to kind of shipwreck our faith. So I want to look at this story and see how we can avoid the same mistakes that Herod made. But before we get into it, who, who is Herod? I mean, I think it's important to understand who is this guy? Uh, Herod the Great was Herod, Antip we're starting about Herod Antipas. His father was a guy named Herod the Great. And if you remember when Jesus was born, uh, Herod ordered that all the kids under a certain age would be killed because he was threatened by Jesus. That was Herod's dad. That was Herod the Great. Uh, and so when Herod the Great died, he divided his kingdom up into several different parts. And so Herod, the one we're studying, became, they call it a tetrarch, which basically means the king of a, a portion of the land. And so uh, he was king of two areas. It was Galilee and Perea. I've got a little map here that shows you where Herod ruled. So up at the top is Galilee. And if you'll notice on the right-hand side of Galilee, the purple shaded section is the Sea of Galilee. And uh, Jesus did about two-thirds of his ministry, maybe up to 80% of his ministry happened in Galilee. And so Herod would, would have known who Jesus was. He would have been around him. He would have been familiar with Jesus. Uh, he would have been familiar with John the Baptist. So that's the kind of area that Herod was responsible for. Herod was married uh, to a woman named Phasaelus. Uh, it was one of these royal arranged marriages. She was the daughter of another king. And so they kind of got married. And then one day Herod goes on a business trip down to Rome and Herod ends up having an affair with his brother Philip's wife, Herodias. So not a good situation. They go down, they have an affair, they fall in love, and they decide, you know what, we're going to leave each other, we're going to leave our spouses, and we're going to get married. And so he marries this woman, Herodias, who's actually technically his, like, sister-in-law. It's kind of it's weird. So um, not, not a good situation. And, uh, but unlike his father, Herod seemed to have an openness to the gospel. He wasn't as hostile as his dad was. Uh, in fact, he went out of his way to try to not to offend the Jewish culture that he ruled over. Uh, one of the things that he did, uh, when a king would, would come into uh, you know, rulership over an area, they would make coins with their likeness on it. It was kind of a way of them worshiping themselves and having everybody else worship themselves. But Herod, because he knew that uh, idolatry was a big deal for the Jewish culture, he actually refused to do it. In fact, if you look through history, you can't find any coin with Herod's likeness on it. And it was said that he did it because he didn't want to offend the people that he was leading. And, and he seemed to have a relationship with John the Baptist. In fact, some people think that uh, Herod arrested John because he wanted to be around him, because he liked kind of learning that there may have even been kind of a, a mentorship relationship there. And so he seemed to have an openness to the gospel. But somehow he goes from having a spiritual curiosity to being known as a guy who brutally murdered John the Baptist. I was reminded of something that Paul said to Timothy uh, as I was reading this story. Timothy was, Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Timothy was one of his protégés. And he said to him in, in 1 Timothy 1.19, he said, cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear for some people have deliberately violated their consciences. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. So I said, be careful not to, not to violate your conscience because you'll shipwreck your faith. And I think that's what happened to Herod. So how, how, how did it happen? What can we learn 
How can we live our lives with no regrets? There's three things I think we can learn from this story from Herod. And the first one is this. If we want to live with no regrets, get good at telling and receiving the truth. Get good at telling and receiving the truth. You know, most of us struggle to tell the truth, don't we? I mean, uh, at best, you may be like me and uh, I just, I kind of like to keep the peace. I'm a peacemaker. And, and so there may be issues in uh, at work or in my family that I know they kind of need to be addressed, but I'd rather keep the peace. And so we don't, we don't address things head on. At worst, some of us, we, we're more than happy to talk about other people's problems to other people, but, but we don't go to them directly. We struggle kind of with these face-to-face, telling the truth types of conversations. It's an issue in the church now, and it's, it's been an issue ever since the beginning of the church. If John the Baptist was anything, he was a truth teller. Yeah, he, he was willing to tell the truth, and, and that's where Herod's problems began, when he was confronted with the truth. Look what it says in verse 17 and 18. She had been his brother Philip's wife, but Herod had married her. Uh, John had been telling Herod, it is against God's law for you to marry your brother's wife. There's a specific law in Leviticus that says, don't sleep with your brother's wife. It doesn't seem like it's hard to figure out, but that was the case. And John's pointing it out to him. He's pointing truth out to him. Notice that it says John had been telling Herod. He wasn't preaching about Herod. He didn't post it to Herod's Facebook page. He apparently talked to Herod face to face. Apparently they had a relationship with each other. And John sees a blind spot in Herod's life, an issue that's going to cause him some problems down the road, and he's willing to tell him the truth clearly and honestly. Would you guys agree that telling the truth is kind of a lost art these days? Not that we're all walking around telling lies or making up stories necessarily, although there definitely is gossip and slander that happens in our culture and even in our church. But I'm talking about when you have a friend and and there's a blind spot in their life, maybe a shortfall in their life, could be big, could be small, but but we're afraid to actually talk about it to them face to face. The Bible challenges us on this over and over and over again. Ephesians 4.25 says, so stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. But you know what? It sounds a lot easier than it is. A couple of weeks ago, our campus pastors get, gathered together. We get, a, get together for all staff meeting every few weeks, and uh, campus pastors were all in town, and most of them brought their wives. And we got together just to kind of do some meeting and connecting, had a game night uh, the night before our staff meeting. And uh, Lisa was with me, my wife, and she had to leave a little bit early. So she comes up to me and says, hey, I got to run back and, you know, get, get back with the kids. And so I said, all right, babe, love you. Be careful. You know, I'll see you later. And she left. And uh, over time, people kind of started leaving and there were just a couple of us left. And one of my friends, one of the pastors said, hey, Josh, can I, can I talk to you about something for a minute? I said, yeah, that's great. Uh, and he said, I just, yeah, I noticed that uh, when, you know, Lisa came and she told you that she was leaving, you just kind of said, bye. He said, can I just challenge you? Always walk her out to the car. You know, you, you can do better than that. You, need, you should walk her out to the car. And immediately I'm like, who do you think you, dude, <laughs> he's a little bit older than I am. I'm like, you, you are so old fashioned, man. And I told him that. I was like, you just don't, we don't do things the same way you did. You don't understand the dynamics of my relationship with Lisa. She would be so offended if I had actually walked her out to the car. And as I'm saying it, I'm thinking, Josh, shut up. You sound like an idiot right now. Uh, I got defensive and I'm like, dude, you don't understand it. And God kind of convicted me, even as I'm in the middle of this conversation, I was like, dude, you know what? I'm sorry. You're, you're right. 
uh, I thought, you know what, I am so grateful that I have somebody in my life who's willing to speak the truth to me. I mean, it was kind of risky for this guy. To, you know, it wasn't a huge deal, but he saw something. He wanted, wanted the best for me. He didn't go talk to all the other campus pastors about it and say, hey, did y'all see what Josh did? I can't believe, you know. He didn't call Lisa up and say, do you know you married a bum? You could have done so much better than him. He, he came directly to me said, hey, I just noticed it, you know, and it, it, man, what a courageous thing, even in a small thing, what, what, a, what an honoring thing to come and speak truth into my life. And I want to be the kind of person that's willing to receive truth. But, but the other side of telling the truth is that we have to get good at receiving it. We can't get defensive when it comes up. So what about you? You know, what's your initial reaction when your supervisor tells you that you're doing something wrong at work? Is it kind of the get defensive and get upset about it? Or are you the kind of person that says, no, 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 speak the truth to me. I want to get better. I want to grow. Well, what about when your wife suggests that maybe there's a thing or two that you could be doing a little bit better uh, working on in the marriage? Uh, is, is our response to that to get defensive and to argue or, or is it to go, you know, no, I'll, I want to be a great husband. I want to be a great wife. Please tell me the truth. I want to grow. Maybe a trusted friend would approach you and say, hey, I'm, I'm a little concerned. Maybe your casual drinking has become a little more formal, if you know what I mean. Hey, it might be something, do we, do we get defensive? Do we, no, 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 we shut down? Or are we open to receiving feedback in our lives? Herod didn't seem to handle it well at all. And his wife didn't either. Look what it says, verse 19, Herodias bore a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. And you know what? I think we're a lot like her. We may not want to kill somebody, but we'll kill a relationship. We'll go, oh, you want to get that close? No, no, we, we, we kind of end it. You know, we don't want to receive, be hearers of truth. Why did John seem to focus on Herod's relationship with his wife? I don't know about you, but when I read that, I'm like, dude, you know, that's the only thing we see him say. Like, it, it happened. They made a mistake. I mean, couldn't he have just sort of said, hey, it's in the past. Let's move on. Let's focus on the future. Couldn't he? Why did he seem, it almost seems like he's that guy with a megaphone on the street corner shouting, you know, about, hey, repent, you know, or like poking into a, an area that's sensitive. Like, why was he so focused on this area of John's life? Well, John's life, or I'm sorry, of Herod's life. John's message was one of repentance of sin. And here's what I believe. I believe he saw in Herod a sin issue that was gonna affect him for the rest of his life if he didn't deal with it. In fact, I, I started studying Herod historically, just looking through uh, articles that I could find on Herod. And it's interesting to, to find out that Herod's wife, Herodias, ended up causing him problems all of his life. Uh, th this woman was evil. This woman had issues. Now, stop looking at your spouse. You're not married to Herodias, all right? But honestly, so if you, if you read in 39 AD, uh, Herodias, his wife, gets jealous of her brother. Her brother was a guy named Agrippa who was succeeding and, and gaining territory. And she gets jealous, so she creates a plan to kind of undercut Agrippa and get all of the land that he had and get it uh, for herself and Herod. And the emperor at the time of Rome caught wind of her little strategy, and he ended up stripping Herod of his entire kingdom, took everything he owned away from him, and exiled him into a place called Gaul. And they ended up dying alone in an area... Um, uh, apart from any of their people or any of their resources or any of the, the wealth that they accumulated all of their life. This woman was a blind spot. I think John saw it. I think he said, you know what? This, God has potential plans for you. And if you don't deal with this issue in your life, if you don't acknowledge it, what would acknowledging it look like? It would have been messy. I don't know what this, the path forward would have been. But if, if you don't acknowledge it, 
It's going to cause problems and it's going to undermine the plan that God has for your life. I think that John was a loving friend. I think he knew that the wages of sin is death, that there's a way that seems right to man, but, but can lead us to destruction. And John was loving enough that he was willing to go, hey, you know, you, you got to deal with this. You got to deal with this issue in your life. Herod chose to ignore it and the prob- problem gradually got worse and it ended up costing him everything. Seacoast, let's be a people who's committed to telling the truth, who's committed to receiving the truth. Now, there's some of you that are salivating about this right now. You're like, yes, pastor gave me permission to go unleash some truth on people. Be, be careful, okay? Uh, if, if you don't know somebody pretty well, you're probably not the person that's supposed to speak the real hard truths into their lives. Let's, let's focus on people that we know, that we're close to. And I would encourage you to start the conversation like this. You know what? I want to tell you something. And I want to tell this to you because I'm committed to our friendship. And I'm committed to you as a person. And regardless of how this conversation goes, I'm committed to this friendship. I'm not going anywhere. We say things like that that just, we do it in love, right? I mean, we do it for the relationship. Uh, Honestly, I can't think of a single area of progress that I have made in my life spiritually that didn't involve somebody bringing truth to my life. Someone saying, hey, this is going to hold you back. This is going to be a problem if you don't deal with it. I love Proverbs 27, 6. It's one of my favorite verses. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Let's not be the kind of people that will only surround ourselves with people who will say nice things about us, essentially potential enemies. We don't even know what it's like to experience the faithful wounds of a friend because we don't stick around long enough. We don't speak the truth. We don't, we don't hang out long enough to do it. Let's learn to tell and receive the truth. Second thing I think we learn from Herod here is, is this. Choose your pain carefully. Choose your pain carefully. Well, let's go back to the story. John confronts Herod with the truth. He has two options. Both of these options are gonna be painful. He, he can embrace the truth and repent of his sin, find a path forward as option one, or he can ignore the truth. W- with option one, the pain is immediate. I mean, if, if he was gonna acknowledge it, it would be an immediate kind of pain. It would be painful to his ego. I mean, this is a king. He would have to acknowledge, I've made a mistake. I've done something wrong. He would have to have a very difficult conversation with his wife, Herodias. They would probably have to get into some counseling to figure out what's the path forward based on uh, their, their new change of heart and repentance. He would have to probably apologize to an ex-wife. In fact, when he married, when he divorced his first wife, a war broke out because it was one of these arranged marriages with another king. And so he, he, he had done a lot of damage with his actions and it was gonna be painful to kind of begin the process of putting that together. Very, very difficult, but the pain would have been immediate. Option number two, ignore the truth, spare yourself the temporary pain and trade it in for a different kind of pain. The pain of regret, the pain of unfulfilled potential in your life. Look what it says in verse 26. Then the king deeply regretted what he had said. Deeply regretted. Circle that phrase, deeply regretted. You know, the only other time that word is used in that context is when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane and he was anguishing over what was getting ready to happen. It's a deep soul-wrenching, soul-destroying kind of regret that Herod lived the rest of his life with. That's option two. That's the pain that we choose when we choose to ignore the truth in our lives. Matthew Henry said, a guilty conscience needs no accuser or tormentor but itself. 
And that's the kind of pain that Herod ended up living with. I think one of the keys to us as Christ followers, fulfilling our potential, is learning to choose the right kind of pain. The biblical word for that, the, the right kind of pain, the short-term pain, is, is repentance. It's literally just mourning over our sin, anguishing over what we've done, that, recognizing that, man, what I've done is sin. It's, it's not just that God came to make bad people good or, or good people better. God came to make dead people alive. And in order for us to receive his grace, we have to acknowledge that, man, the, the, the sin that we have, it's, it's not, we, we, we like to sugarcoat it, don't we? Ah, you know, you're okay. You know, it's, it's not a big deal, but, but we, have to, we have to be willing to choose short-term pain, repentance. God, I'm sorry. You know, it was, it was wrong. I was uh, reading a little devotional with my son the other night. We've got this cool sports trivia kind of devotional book that combines sports and, and the Bible. And, and the particular one that we were reading was about a guy named Spud Webb when he won the slam dunk competition. Now, some of you don't know who Spud Webb is, especially taller people. He's, he's not a big deal to you. But for short people like me, he's one of the heroes, right? Uh, I got a picture of Spud Webb. He was five foot six. And he won the slam dunk competition. I mean, he could jump out of the gym. I loved watching Spud Webb in the 90s when I was growing up as a basketball player. And so I'm, t- I'm reading this story of him winning the slam dunk competition. And they were connecting it to David and Goliath and kind of the underdog spirit. And I was like, you know, here's an opportunity for me to teach Miles what, what it means to be a Surratt. Because uh, my, my concern for Miles is that, you know, he grows up and you got seacoast and you got all this stuff. Well, we didn't have all this stuff when I was growing up. And we were never the smartest people in the class. We certainly weren't the most physically gifted people in the class. But my dad instilled in us, we are scrappy and Surratt's are underdogs. We, we will fight and we will do whatever it takes to win. We'll, we'll also give our lives to Jesus and allow him to help us do whatever it takes to win. But, but if you're going to be a Surratt, you got to understand the DNA, the Surratt spirit, the underdog spirit. Some of you are like, I want that spirit. I'm sorry. You know, it's, it's a Surratt thing. I'm just kidding. You can put your last name in too. This is just about establishing family identity, right? And so, so I'm talking to him and I look up and, and Miles is, he's crying. And I was like, dude, what, what's going on? And he said, dad, I'm so glad that we read that story. I really needed to hear that. And I was like, well, why? What, what's going on? And he said, Dad, honestly, I haven't been carrying the Surratt spirit. And I was like, what do you mean? He said, I've, I've just been making bad choices at school. And there's, there's a friend that we've been getting in trouble together. And he said, Dad, uh, and he's really just broken up crying. He said, Dad, two days in a row, I haven't got a sticker at school. Now, that's a big deal in his context. Sticker is like the good behavior deal, right? And so he had had a sticker every day of the year up until this point. He said, two days in a row, I haven't had a sticker. He said, Dad, I'm, I'm even worried that I'm not the best kid in the class anymore. <laughs> now, we instilled confidence early. Now we're working on humility. So. <laughs> but but he's, he's broken up about this thing. And uh, honestly, everything in me as his dad wanted to tell him it was fine. Dude, it's not a big deal. You're in first grade. Like, this is not going to shape your life. I wanted to kind of protect him from the pain. But, but the Lord kind of spoke to me as we were sitting on his bed. It's like, no, he needs to, he needs to experience this pain. This is the right kind of pain. This is the short-term pain of just acknowledging our, our sin, you know, and I don't want him to feel guilty about it. I don't want him to, but, but I, I, it was good. We, we, we prayed together and we kind of processed together. What, what do we do with that? And, and the pain wasn't just the feeling that he was having, but he was going to have to go back and talk to his teacher and, and apologize for his behavior. And he was going to have to kind of d- do some things to, uh, to, to make it right. And, and I thought, you know what, as his dad, I want nothing more for my son than for him to live a life free of guilt, free of shame, free of regret. 
but, but if he's gonna do that, he's gonna have to get good at choosing the right pain versus ignoring the truth and, and making excuses for his actions, which is gonna lead him to experiencing a whole different kind of pain. So what, what about you? When God or maybe someone else in your life highlights some truth, what do you do with it? Do you to choose the short-term pain of repentance, change, or do you ignore it and choose the long-term pain of regret? Maybe, um, maybe your issue is anger. And you know, you've got some people that have kind of highlighted, hey, there, there's an issue here. The short-term pain for anger is, you know, it's personal and it's private, but it's hard. It's, it's acknowledging some hurt. It's asking for, for some forgiveness. It's kind of restoring some relationships. But the long-term pain is probably gonna be a lot more public and it's gonna affect a lot more people if we don't deal with it. Maybe for some of us, it's an addiction. Uh, there, there's a, a habit that's kind of taken root in our lives and the, the short-term pain of repentance means really acknowledging this is wrong. This is sin and I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I, wanna, I may have to confess something that may be embarrassing or really hard, you know, if it's related to you know, sexual addiction or alcohol addiction. I mean, it's not easy, it's, it's painful to really get a hold of this stuff and, and deal with it. Getting on a road to recovery, but the long-term pain is so much worse and it affects so many more people if we just choose to ignore it. When given the opportunity, Herod almost always chose the wrong kind of pain. So we gotta get good at telling and receiving the truth, choose our pain carefully. The last thing that I think we need to do is keep a calculator handy. Keep a calculator handy, I brought one. How many of you would agree every choice that we make has a cost, right? And, and Herod, if you read his story, you can see, you know, he chooses to ignore John the Baptist's uh, instructions and there's a cost to that. And then he has this party and he gets, uh, has, gets drunk and invites some friends and he has his daughter, stepdaughter, do a dance for them. Oh, bad. There's a cost to that. There's a cost to her, probably psyche over this thing. There's a cost to himself and what, what that relationship's gonna be like uh, later on. And uh, th then, he, then he makes a statement and he says, whatever you want, I'll give you up to half of the kingdom. There's no way he could have imagined the cost of that one statement was gonna cause him to have to kill a very close friend in his life. He didn't have a calculator handy. He didn't count the cost. He ends up living a life forever tormented by that one decision. You know what, he was a man full of spiritual curiosity, full of it. Much like a lot of people who come to church week in and week out, but he was never willing to commit. He was never willing to make the hard calls. I was talking to a friend of mine about this whole deal because I've never heard anybody preach about Herod in this way and just felt like God, God gave me some insight into the passage and we were talking and he said, you know what, it reminds me of myself. He said, I was small when I was growing up and I was bullied quite a bit and uh, one of the things that I did to kind of cope with that, one of my mechanisms was to, to compensate by, you know, taking stuff. You know, I, I, he wouldn't even call it stealing, but he would just take things. You know, it gave him some power. He would take things out of a friend's backpack or out of their locker. Or eventually he would steal stuff from school. He said, when I, when I got out of college, I worked in the food and beverage industry and I would steal trash bags. You know, they were, he would, like, they were awesome trash bags. They were thick and I'd just take a couple of them and it was, it was kind of cool and, um, th then he started coming to Seacoast. Uh, we found out because our trash bags went missing and it was like, well, yeah. no, not really. I don't think he took any trash bags from us. I'll have to ask him about that. I don't think he did. But, but he said, as he started coming to the church and committed his life to Christ, God kind of spoke to him and said, are you really willing 
to trade the favor of God on your life for some 25 cent trash bags? Like you don't need a calculator for that. And he said later on, uh, he, he quit stealing trash bags, but he said he was, he was at his uh, house and he looked in a drawer and he had a bundle of Seacoast pens. <laughs> said, I quit taking trash bags, but God kind of reminded me again, really, are you gonna trade the favor of God for a 25 cent pen? Now this message is not about stealing pens, although I feel like it's getting very quiet and if some conviction has come over. And he, he brought him back and he said, you know what, I'm not, I'm not willing to trade the favor of God for a 25 cent pen. And I wonder in this place and in our campuses, I wonder what we're willing to trade away the favor of God for. We're not keeping a calculator handy, realizing that every choice that we make, if we had a calculator and we go, what's this gonna cost me? You know, as simple as going and eating, you know, fast food, we all get that. It's gonna, you know, it's temporarily tastes great, but it's gonna have a cost to it, right? But, but every decision that we make, there's a cost. There's a long-term cost. I wonder if we would just learn to keep our calculators handy. You know, uh, just thinking about the story and thinking, man, what if we could rewrite Herod's story? I mean, what if he would have just made a commitment to Christ, decided to do something about it? Can you imagine what God would have done? We'd preach about him all the time. A king who committed his life to Christ and potentially could have advanced the gospel in a way that nobody else could have. What an amazing story he could have had. But you know what? We can't rewrite Herod's story. But you know what? God can rewrite yours and he can rewrite mine. You know, all it takes is us being willing to choose the right kind of pain, to hear the truth. And go, you know what? I'm not, I'm not gonna let my story play out like that. I'm not gonna let this blind spot shape the rest of my life. I'm gonna choose whatever that looks like, whatever it means to go, you know what? I'm sorry, I repent. I believe God wants to rewrite all of our stories. That's the gospel. That's how we're marked by grace. I love 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, that's our part. Not that we get our act together, not that we figure it all out and we kind of become the, the person that we think we're supposed to become. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and he will forgive our sins, purify us from all unrighteousness every single time. There's no hesitation in his desire to forgive us, to restore us and to rewrite our story. And I think he wants to do that today. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for every person in this room, every person in our campuses. God, I thank you that you love us so much. Lord, that you gave us truth. You gave us your word. Lord, and I pray that we would be a people who are willing to receive the truth. We're willing to hear it, God, and not just move through it or move past it, but really reflect on it and how it impacts our lives. God, that we would choose repentance, Lord, when it's necessary. Lord, that we would acknowledge where we've fallen short. And Lord, that we would allow you to rewrite our story. Lord, we wanna be a church that changes this community. We wanna be a church that turns our state upside down. We wanna be a church, Lord, that uh, when people are around us, they recognize, man, there's something different. These people, they love Jesus. They walk in confidence and boldness of who God has called them to be. Lord, but that can't happen without you rewriting our story. So would you do it, God? Would you do miracles in this place? Would you change, Lord, stories that are currently uh, on, a, on a pathway to divorce, that are gonna be on a pathway to reconciliation? Lord, would you, uh, Lord, take pride, Lord, that is currently taking us on a trajectory, Lord, of just brokenness and of uh, 
severed relationships. And would you, Lord, humble us and restore us to live the lives that you've called us to live. We love you, God, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.